Brass at the Beach, The Chronicles of Music Majors, short story number four, written by Ashley Rescott, narrated by Ashley Rescott. Chapter one, thank goodness the flight was over. Etta let out the breath she'd held for the last several hours. Too much turbulence. The orchestra director, Mr. Bachev, a wiry man with toothpick arms, had recruited several Belton University orchestra students to load the last of the suitcases onto the rental bus. He motioned to the rest of them, pile in. With an extra shove, Etta pushed her enormous tuba case into the overhead compartment and scooted next to Brooke, who held an oboe case in her lap. Woodwind players had it so easy compared to the brass. Etta glanced out the window at the palm trees. What a contrast to the Midwest. She still couldn't believe the Belton University Orchestra had been invited to Guadalupe to perform for their Maritime Composers Festival. I can't wait to hit the beach, Brooke tossed her wavy brunette hair. I need to buy a new swimsuit while we're here. The one I have is so last season. How about a bikini? One of the French horn students, Terence, laughed from the seat behind. Where's your Speedo? Brooke pursed her lips. Terence grunted. Good point. Etta's shoulders drooped. No one ever asked to see a tuba player in a bikini. Just skinny woodwind players. Not that she'd be caught dead in one anyway, but she'd like the guys to notice her. She stole a glance at Terence, who'd leaned back in his seat and was fiddling with his phone. He never looked her way when Brooke was around. Half an hour later, they pulled up to a swanky seaside resort. Etta gasped. Compared to the cheap motels where she'd spent family vacations, this building resembled a palace. Palm trees danced in the breeze, while huge columns stood sentinel nearby. The smell of citrus fruits wafted through the air. She breathed deeply to take it all in. How different from the treeless plains back home. Très belle, Brooke smiled, so luxurious. The silky way Brooke spoke French sounded exotic. Etta would love her friend's talent with foreign languages. Face it, she was lucky to have passed freshman English. A bellman in a crisp navy suit with gold trim helped Mr. Vachev load the suitcases and instruments onto carts. Bienvenue à Guadeloupe. Etta glanced at Brooke for a translation. Welcome to Guadeloupe, Brooke said. The man's face lit up. Mademoiselle parle français? Oui, bien sûr. Brooke batted her long eyelashes. This could take a while. Might as well head inside to the lobby. A giant waterfall cascaded over rocks into a small basin in the center of the room. Plush couches beckoned. When Etta sat down, her eyes moved to the elegant chandelier suspended from the ceiling. Moments later, footsteps pounded the marble floors. We're checked in. Mr. Vachev started to pass out key cards. Everyone's on the seventh floor. His brows furrowed. No crazy shenanigans tonight. Our concert's only days away, and we need to rehearse. Wouldn't dream of it. Brooke grabbed her key and turned to Etta. Let's go, Rumi. The next morning, Terrence pulled a new island shirt over his head, careful not to knock his glasses askew. He was practically blind without them. What a rough night. He'd spent half an hour cleaning up after his dumb roommate puked all over the bathroom floor. Why were his fellow brass buddies such idiots? Didn't they know when to turn down another beer? But no, leave it to him, the responsible, scrawny, nerdy one of the group, to babysit them. He groaned as he hoisted up his French horn case, 
clicked open the door, and headed down the hall to the elevators. Good morning, Terrence. Going down? Brooke waved from inside the cramped space. Morning, ladies. He managed a weak smile as he squeezed between the girls. How could Brooke be so chipper this morning? And still look this good. She'd drunk as many beers as his roommates last night. Clink. Whoa, what was that? He rubbed the side of his head. Etta moaned. Sorry, this tuba takes up half the elevator. That's why you should play French horn. He held up his instrument, which bumped Brooke's oboe case. Watch it. She clutched the instrument to her chest. I just bought this a couple of months ago. Sorry, he mumbled. Brooke's free hand flew to her hip. You should be. It wasn't cheap. I meant sorry you bought the wrong instrument. French horns take the cake. Brooke rolled her eyes. Not a chance. The orchestra members filed into the banquet hall and took their seats in a semicircle surrounding Mr. Bachev. Etta plopped herself into her usual place at the rear, where no one in the audience would ever see her. Even the other brass players seldom took notice. When Mr. Bachev rapped on the podium, silence rippled over the sea of musicians. Glad you all managed to make it this morning, he glared at the brass section, where one of the trombonists sat with a pail next to him. Not sure why we had to be here so early, a trumpeter muttered. Edda agreed. Her head still pounded from trailing Brooke around the night before. Exhausting. Mr. Vachev frowned. Time to rehearse. We shall run through one of my favorite turn-of-the-twentieth-century works, Debussy's La Mer. What does that mean? A flutist asked. Brooke raised her chin. It means the sea in French. Mr. Vachev nodded his head in assent. Yes, which is where we'll visit after this rehearsal. The muscles in Edda's stomach clenched. She'd never been to the ocean before, so deep and fast, and on top of that, she'd never learned to swim. How would she handle la mer? Chapter 2 Gray clouds hung heavy in the air, and a light mist shrouded the resort as Terence joined the procession of Belton students on the winding cobblestone path en route to the resort's visitor center. The effects of the coffee he'd grabbed from the hotel cafe after rehearsal were kicking in. He needed the extra burst of energy on this dreary day. Mr. Vachev folded his arms. I'd hoped for better weather for our excursion. Would they cancel? Terence squinted at the sky. The orchestra director shook his head. No, only if there's lightning. Brooke stepped up next to them, wrapping her cover up around her. That thin piece of material didn't cover much. Terence blinked his eyes to avoid ogling. We have to swim in this weather? But it's cold! Her bottom lip protruded. It's not that cold. Etta traced her hand along a leafy shrub. Nothing compared to Midwestern winters. Good point, Brooke said. I'll take this over snow any day. Terence's insides tightened. I hope it doesn't rain too much while we're out there. At the visitor center, Mr. Vachev presented several tickets to the clerk. She smiled and ushered them into an adjacent room where pictures of aquatic life hung on every wall. Stingrays, turtles, dolphins, whales, and fish peered at him from their frames. A native of Guadeloupe, perhaps in his 20s, grabbed a microphone and rattled off something in French. This'd be a dull tour if Terence couldn't understand anything. He turned to Brooke for a translation, but at that moment the guide switched to English. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, he said in a thick French accent. My name is Mathieu, and I'll be your guide. Today, we'll take you on a boat ride to visit the city of Stingray. 
where you'll have the chance to swim with these exotic sea creatures. Ooh, sounds fun. Brooke stood on tiptoe and peered at Mathieu. And he's so cute, she giggled. I love the French accent. Terence grimaced. Of course she did. Exotic, francophile Brooke would never take notice of a colorless, geeky guy like him. Mathieu ushered everyone outside. Terence breathed in the scent of the ocean. A long, bright-colored tourist vessel floated in the dock in front of them. As you see, our boat is quite the beauty. The guide extended his hand to help the girls board. Brooke accepted it with a smile, then leapt to the deck. Etta, on the other hand, clutched the guide's hand as if her life depended on it, her face drained of color as she stumbled onto the boat. Terence climbed on board, then sidled up next to her. Etta, you all right? I'm fine, she blinked several times, trying to keep my contacts from popping out. The spray of salt water stings my eyes, and I'm not used to the ocean. Those deep brown eyes and her bright yellow dress suited her dark complexion. Why hadn't he noticed before? Heat rose to his cheeks, probably just the sun. Brooke frowned at her friend. Since when don't you like the water? I thought you loved our lake excursions. That's different. The ocean is unpredictable. Etta wrung her hands in front of her. I don't want to think of what lurks in there. Besides, I've never been a good swimmer. Sounds like you've watched Jaws one too many times. Terrence clapped her on the back. You'll be fine. Don't worry. After all the passengers had boarded, the guide closed the entrance gate. They pulled out of the dock with such a lurch that Etta grabbed Terrence's arm for support. Poor girl was scared to death. The light pressure of her fingers sent an unexpected tingle up his arm. As the vessel left the harbor and sailed into the open sea, Brooke leaned against the railing, a vision in her navy suit with the wind whipping her hair behind her like a sail. Get away from the side of the boat, Brooke. Fear laced at his voice. It's not safe to stand that near the edge. I'm fine. That's why there's a railing. Brooke ran her hand along the metal bars. It's not very high, Etta said, tight-lipped. You'll topple over. Loosen up, Etta, Brooke said. Stop being such a scaredy cat. The wind's intensity increased as they traveled further and further out to sea. Like the symphony they'd played that morning, the boat rose and fell in rhythm with the waves. As they sat on the deck, a queasy knot formed in the pit of Terence's stomach. He shivered. Did they expect anyone to swim in this? Several minutes later, Mathieu resumed his position at the front of the deck while the boat slowed to a stop. We've reached our destination, he announced. The captain instructed me to warn you that the waves are stronger than usual today, so use caution as you descend the ladder to visit the stingray. Please grab your life jacket and snorkel gear. I'll go first so I can assist you. Brooke hurried after him, life jacket fastened tight, then several other students followed suit. As Terence made his way to the ladder, he turned toward Etta, who shook her head. I'm not going. Terence hesitated. You sure? Etta's hand flew to her mouth with a jerk. Positive. Do you want me to stay with you? I shouldn't leave you here if you're seasick. No, I'm fine. Go enjoy the stingrays. She turned away. He hesitated, then climbed down the ladder and lowered himself into the water. A shudder passed through his body as the cold water prickled his skin. Terence, look at this! Brooke bobbed along several feet away next to Mathieu, who held a large triangular creature on the flat portion of his palms. It tickles! She giggled as she stroked the stingray. Terence extended a finger and stroked its smooth, velvety skin. Brooke laughed again. It's sucking on my hand! Terence pulled his arm away with a jerk. Where's its mouth? On the underside. 
Mathieu lifted a portion of the sea creature to reveal its white belly and tiny mouth. Terence traced his finger along the underside. Does it hurt when it sucks on you? No, it's like a vacuum. Mathieu pointed at the long tail. What you need is to avoid its stinger. Terence swam back a couple of paces. He'd steer clear of that weapon. Mathieu chuckled. Don't worry, these stingrays are used to people. At that moment, an enormous wave caught them, and Mathieu lost hold of the creature. Wow, that was a big one! Brooke clutched onto Mathieu for support. I... An ear-piercing cry echoed over the waves. A flash of yellow tumbled over the side of the boat. Terence gasped. Etta! Chapter 3 The wave crashed over Etta with such violence she could barely keep her head above the water, even with the life jacket. She tried to scream, but nothing escaped her lips. Instead, her mouth and eyes burned with salty ocean water. As the wave swirled around her, she clutched her life jacket with a vice-like grip. Would it keep her afloat? Her legs kicked harder than ever before. Her eyes blurred to the point she could barely make out the slim figure who power-crawled toward her. Grab this, the person shouted and flung an extra life jacket her way. She embraced the orange flotation device to steady herself. Moments later, she was gliding through the water toward the boat. When she looked up, Terence tugged on one of the straps to pull her through the water. His bare back and shoulders told her he'd tossed his own jacket. She gripped it tighter. When they reached the ladder, Brooke was already clambering on deck. She extended her hand. Hoist her up here. Terence wrapped his arm around Etta's waist. He breathed hard with the extra effort to boost her up. Her own breath caught in her throat. She'd never been this close to him before. What happened? Brooke choked as she pulled Etta on board. Are you okay? Etta nodded, her body still shaking. I am now. I wasn't earlier. She lowered her voice. To be honest, I felt seasick, so I, uh, hung my head over the side of the boat, just as a huge wave hit. Knocked me overboard. I think I lost my contacts in the water. Good thing I brought a few extra pairs. I was struggling to stay afloat when Terrence tossed me his life jacket and tugged me to the ladder. I'm glad he found you, Brooke gasped. Terence hoisted himself up the ladder. Me too. He grabbed his towel from the bench and wrapped it around Etta. My next priority is to teach this girl how to swim. Etta jolted back. What? He peeled off his goggles and situated his glasses. I've done it a hundred times. Worked at the lake for the past several summers. You'll be fine. I'm sure you already have good breath control from puffing on that tuba. He grinned. The next day, after another early morning rehearsal, Terence and the others followed Mathieu to the wildlife center. The scent of sea creatures mingled with the fragrance of the tropical flora that lined the path. First, they visited the outdoor sea turtle habitat. Pools of various sizes surrounded the students, each filled with several turtles. These ocean creatures can live over a hundred years, Mathieu pointed to a gargantuan reptile in the pool to his right, like this one. He's the oldest at the resort. Ooh, look at these baby ones. Brooke squealed as she stood by a small pool a few feet away. They're so cute. Mathieu walked next to her and scooped one up in his hands. They were born four days ago. Do you want to hold him? Of course. Brooke held out her hands for the little turtle. Me too. Etta squeezed next to them. They're so tiny compared to the grandpa over there. She cocked her head toward the other pool. Yes, they continue to grow for many years. Mathieu rubbed his fingers along another baby turtle's shell, then handed it to Etta. How adorable. 
She giggled as she held the baby up to her face. Terence couldn't feel his eyes from her. Her face brightened with the tiny creature in hand. A part of him had actually enjoyed his chance to play the hero yesterday, to feel the warmth of Etta's body as she'd clung to him at the ladder. Whoa, time for a swim. He needed to cool off. An hour later, Etta laughed as Brooke sprinted to the enormous pool in front of them. We get to swim with dolphins, Brooke exclaimed. Etta shuddered as she eyed the aquatic pool. Did the others expect her to swim with a dolphin? Terence had insisted she learn, but she needed time to think, to clear her head. She glanced at him, but he was deep in conversation with Mr. Vachev. Had he even thought about her since yesterday? Would he say anything? Maybe he hadn't felt the same spark she'd experienced. Etta, did you hear Mathieu? Brooke's voice cut in. What? Etta snapped back to attention. You're up next to swim with the dolphin. Brooke gave her a light shove toward the pool. Right. Etta's legs trembled as she climbed in next to Mathieu. The cool water sent goosebumps up her arms. The dolphin, Cappy, swam several feet away. When it comes to you, grab his flippers to ride on his belly, Mathieu said in his thick French accent. He held out his hands to demonstrate the movement. What? She jerked backward. No time to think. A second later, Cappy splashed next to them. His smooth body and majestic tail made him an impressive sight. Etta grasped the flippers and climbed onto the sleek, white skin. With a flash, he took off, swimming on his back with Etta perched on top. How exhilarating! She'd never experienced anything like it. Water droplets wet her face as Cappy raced around the pool. When they returned, Etta slid off into the water. Très bien! Mathieu patted Cappy on the nose. Now for the bisou. She frowned. The what? The bisou. The kiss. Mathieu puckered his lips. What? Terence bulldozed forward, arms folded. Mathieu slid his hand over Cappy's back. After the swim, Cappy always gave his rider a kiss. The creases in Terence's forehead relaxed. Oh, I see. Brooke nudged him in the ribs. You jealous? Terence and Etta locked eyes for a moment. Maybe he said. So she hadn't imagined it. Something had happened between them yesterday. Her heart pounded faster. When she turned around, she found herself face to face with the dolphin. Cappy nudged his wet nose against her lips, then flopped back to the water. How was it? Terence asked. Etta wiped her lips. Best kiss I've ever had. He arched an eyebrow. Really? She held his gaze. What was going on? Chapter 4 Back at the hotel room, Etta stood with her swimsuit in hand. Nothing about this suited her, the attire, or the idea of braving the ocean again. She sighed, then pulled it on. Hmm, maybe she'd add her cover-up, wide rim, straw hat, and red sandals. Maybe those would draw attention away from her middle. She grabbed her beach bag, opened the door, and crashed into Terrence. He laid his hand on her arm. Sorry about that. Her face flushed. No problem. They walked side by side to the elevator, through the lobby, and out the door. The ocean's salty scent washed over her on the balmy breeze. As they strolled the narrow path, Etta immersed herself in the beauty of the resort's lush landscape. Palm trees overhead rustled in a lazy island breeze. Gerbera daisies, bright against a broad expanse of lawn, lined the walkway until it disappeared into the sand. Etta knelt to pull off her sandals. Other students splashed in the water several feet away. Terence released his grip on her. 
race you to the beach? After a moment's hesitation, she nodded. You're on. In a flash, she sprinted over the hot sand. She clutched her sun hat with one hand and her beach bag and sandals with the other. Wind ripped through her hair and buzzed in her ears. Wet sand slowed her pace and water pooled in her footprints. I won, she exclaimed, panting. As she pulled to a stop, Terence slammed into her and both sprawled into the water. She giggled as she pushed him off her. Why'd you do that? He fumbled around in the sand. Why'd you stop? His hands continued to pat the ground. Where are my glasses? She jumped up. You lost them? They fell somewhere. The intensity in his voice increased. A wave crashed around them and white foam bubbled at her feet. She shivered. Moments later, the wave subsided. She picked her way over the remnants of debris left by the tide. She scanned the beach in vain for any sign of glass or metal. A few feet away, Terence crawled on all fours like a dog in search of a buried bone. No luck? He raised his head in the direction of her voice, but didn't meet her gaze. What should we do? She slipped her hand in his and pulled him to his feet. His fingers curled around hers, which warmed more than her hand. You'll have to lead me back to the hotel. What time is it anyway? Do I have time to visit an eye doctor? She shaded her eyes. The sun hung low in the sky. I doubt it. This time, it was her turn to guide him along the path back to the hotel. The poor guy was as blind as she was. When she stopped in her tracks, he bumped into her again. You've got to stop doing that, especially now that I'm blind. How blind? He rubbed his eyes. Uh, pretty bad. I mean, what's your prescription? I think it's 2300. Something abysmal. He ran a hand across his forehead. Why? Great. With a quick tug, she yanked him forward again. He stumbled to keep up. How in the world is that great? She pushed the door open and guided him through the lobby. I have an idea. It's crazy, but worth a shot. Terence held his breath as Etta helped him into the swivel chair at the hotel desk. I hope you know what you're doing. He raked his hand through his hair. Trust me. She rushed into the bathroom, then returned moments later with something in her hands. With a plop, she bounced on the bed and spun him to face her. What's going on? I'm teaching you how to wear contacts. What? His body turned rigid. You've got to be kidding me. I'll never keep my eyes open. Besides, it can't be good to wear someone else's contacts. I agree with you, but we're in a foreign country, we don't have access to an eye doctor, and you can't see a thing. Do you want to spend the rest of the trip blind and miss the concert? He slumped lower in the chair. No, Vacha would kill me. Then it's contacts for you. What if they're the wrong prescription? Besides, don't you need them? Uh, in ordinary circumstances, I'd never recommend this. But if your eyes are worse than mine, this is better than nothing. Also, I brought a couple of extra pairs. I guess I'll give it a try. Great. She bent toward him. The warmth of her skin melted him like chocolate on a hot day. Who'd have thought he'd fall for a tuba player? Her cute mouth puckered as she leaned over him probably on autopilot from all those years working on her embouchure. Etta pulled his upper lid with her middle finger and his lower lid with her thumb. With her forefinger, she pressed the tiny lens to his eye. He jerked his head back. What on earth? Hold still. She pressed him against the chair with her other hand and leaned in again. Her full-formed body radiated heat. Now was the time to take her in his arms and kiss her senseless. But the moment her hand approached his eye, his head flinched away. 
Terrence, don't move. I've got to do this. He grabbed her wrist. This'll never work. I can't let someone poke me in the eye. She lowered her arm. You give up? Her mouth intoxicated him with her minty breath. No, he stroked the inside of her wrist. That's not what I said. I do need to try. Myself. She pulled her hand away. You think you can? He stood up. Like you said, I don't have much choice. Now can you guide me to a mirror so I can figure this out? All right. She picked up the contacts and ushered him into the bathroom. I'll wait for you to finish. I'm headed to the balcony. Holler if you need me. Edda peeled open the sliding door and stepped outside. She needed fresh air to cool off. What had happened in there? For a moment, she'd thought Terrence might kiss her. Their lips had almost met. But if he couldn't see, maybe he hadn't realized how close they were. Geeky Terrence had managed to weasel his way into her thoughts. As she waited on the balcony, the scents of salt water and seafood mingled in the breeze. The horizon resembled a canvas filled with brush strokes and sunset pastels. The water glistened. Light blue became turquoise and darkened to midnight on the far sea. For a moment, the exquisite beauty of the setting drove all other thoughts from her mind. What would it be like to live this near the sea? She'd spent her entire life in the Midwest, far from the ocean. This was another world. How she wanted to brave her fears and swim in those waters. A touch on her arm drew her back to the present. When she spun around, Terence stood nose to nose with her, just like the dolphin a few hours before. Either the sharpness of his features without the glasses, or the intensity of his gaze, caused her breath to catch in her throat. She swallowed. Do you need more help? Perhaps. A quirky smile played at the corner of his lips. I'll take a look. She cradled the back of his head with her hands and examined his eyes. He reached out to brush her cheek. Not that kind of help. A ripple of excitement flooded her body at his touch. What was happening? The hotel door clicked and the two jumped apart. Brooke dropped her beach bag on the bed and arched an eyebrow. What are you guys doing on the balcony? Etta wiped her forehead. Well, um... I dropped my glasses in the ocean. Terrence rubbed his eyes again. Brooke gaped at him. That's awful. What are you going to do? Etta taught me how to wear contacts. Brooke's eyes grew as wide as seashells. I thought there was something different about you. Nice. Yeah, my vision's a lot clearer now. He winked at Etta. Electricity pulsed through her veins. Glad I could help. Chapter 5 The night of the symphony concert, Etta and Brooke bustled around their hotel room. Brooke donned a floral sundress. Etta slipped into a golden dress she'd purchased from the gift shop. First time she hadn't worn black to a concert in ages. Would Terrence notice? I can't wait for the international buffet. Brooke examined her painted nails. I hope they serve lobster. Ick! Etta shrieked. That sounds awful. Brooke frowned. You've never tried it. How do you know? Those creepy creatures that stare at you from the plate? No, thank you. I'll bet the desserts are to die for. Brooke grabbed her oboe case. That's the best part, Etta beamed. They might have French mousse or chocolate or whatever you call it. Not the best part, Brooke flashed a knowing smile. There might be a cute French horn player, too. Etta's stomach flip-flopped. Of course, Brooke would have realized something was up. When they reached the patio, the knot in Etta's belly unclenched. Twinkle lights hung from trees, and the expansive gazebo set up for the orchestra. 
Illuminated by the pulse of underwater blue lights, the outdoor pool resembled a deep sea world. A beautiful arrangement of tropical flowers adorned each white patio table. Fresh seafood, blackened under garlic butter with a hint of sage, mingled with the salt air of the beach. The retro sound of the Beach Boys blasted through the sound system. Don't you ladies look stunning, Mathieu smiled. The guide sported a fluorescent orange shirt and floral shorts. He extended his elbow. May I have the privilege of escorting la belle dame to the party? Brooke giggled. Of course. She looped her arm in his, and they strolled toward the buffet together. Nice evening, isn't it? Terence's voice filled the night air. Etta's heartbeat quickened as she pivoted to face him. Yes, it's a lovely night. A vibrant colored island shirt hung low over his khaki shorts. Stripped of his glasses, he seemed different. Or their relationship was different. His eyes bore into hers. You look beautiful. Warmth spread to her face. Thanks. You're not half bad yourself. He reached for her hand. What do you say we... Etta! Brooke called as she turned back toward them. You must check out the buffet. You too, Terrence. It's to die for. His fingers tightened around Etta's. Sounds great. Terrence's mouth watered as he surveyed the spread. The buffet boasted food from all around the world. Brazilian steak, Mexican tacos, chicken piccata, Italian fettuccine alfredo, stuffed mushrooms, and bacon-wrapped asparagus. The seafood table was laden with cocktail shrimp, honey-glazed salmon, mahi-mahi, crab bisque, and lobster tails. He handed Etta a plate. Hard to decide with so many choices. She popped a shrimp into her mouth. Want one? Sure. She held up the shrimp and offered a bite. The garlic butter melted in his mouth. His brain turned fuzzy at her proximity. Delicious. Come join us, Brooke called from a nearby table where she sat with Mathieu. Normally, he'd have jumped at the chance to sit with Brooke, but tonight he had eyes only for Etta. With a little tug on his hand, Etta pulled him to the table, and they sat down. Which dish do you like best? Brooke forked a piece of fish into her mouth. I thought I'd pick the lobster, but now I'd vote for the mahi-mahi. I'm partial to the salmon, Mathieu raised a bite to his mouth. Terence eyed Etta, who spread tuna over a slice of bread. I'd say tuba fish. Her cheeks turned as red as the lobster on her plate. After Terence had stuffed himself like a crab, he and the other musicians congregated in the gazebo for the concert. Mr. Vachev had selected the top players of the Belton Symphony to perform for the Maritime Composers Festival. They'd begin with a tribute to the French composer, Joseph de Bologne, also known as Le Chevalier de Saint-Georges. A native of Guadeloupe, the 18th century composer had made a name for himself throughout Europe and the Caribbean. Tonight, the orchestra would perform his violin concerto in G major with Belton's violin teacher as the soloist. Mr. Vachev raised his arms to lead the opening bars of the violin concerto. Where was Etta? Oh, right, he'd forgotten. She didn't play the first work. The tuba didn't even exist in the 18th century. He attempted to focus his eyes on the score in front of him. His vision, while not perfect, certainly was a significant improvement from his usual blind state. He could grow accustomed to this new way of viewing things. The music, the atmosphere, the people, Etta. After the final flourish of the violinist's bow, Etta climbed the stairs to her place under the gazebo. This time, Terence looked right at her, through to her soul, as though the contacts painted her in a new light. 
Mr. Vachev nodded to the musicians, and swirls of notes poured from the strings as Debussy's La Mer soared into the night air. This trip might change things for her. She might shed her cloak of obscurity at last and be noticed for who she really was, the girl behind the big brass. After a half hour of glorious music, the notes died away. Applause erupted from the audience as Mr. Vachev gestured for the musicians to stand. Edda beamed at her fellow brass players, proud to be a member of such a skilled section. The orchestra members filed out of the gazebo, and a jazz combo took their place. Edda's foot tapped along to the beat. Terence tipped his head at the group. That's what it means to play brass. Yeah. She took a deep breath and allowed the rhythm to pervade her senses. A small group of people congregated on the dance floor. Mathieu fawned all over Brooke as she pulled him to the dance. Terence traced a finger along Edda's arm. Should we join them? She shook her head. I don't dance. Come on, it'll be fun. He extended his hand to her. You need to let loose once in a while. Oh, all right. She allowed him to pull her up. His grip tightened around her fingers as he escorted her to the dance floor. Brooke was teaching Mathieu a rousing line dance while the band played a fast song. She waved them over. Come on, I'll teach it to you guys. After several tries, Etta got the hang of it. Clap, hop, repeat in another direction. Next, the band slowed into Bobby Darren's classic, Beyond the Sea. I need some water, Brooke gasped. All this dancing makes me thirsty. Mathieu motioned to the table. Sit down, I'll grab glasses. Terence nudged Etta's arm. It's stifling here. Let's find a place less crowded. They strolled away toward the beach. Despite the dark night, the sound of the surf crashing on the sand reminded her of the nearness of the ocean. Terence turned her to face him. Want to dance again? He slipped his arms around her back. Words failed her. She nodded, and her hands found their way to the back of his neck. In his arms, she swayed back and forth to the rhythm of the music and the waves. The peaceful sound of the ocean rang in Etta's ears as she leaned her head against Terence's cheek. His heartbeat thumped against her chest. He squeezed tighter, which expelled the air from her lungs. One hand cradled her neck, the other pressed tightly against her back. A moment later, his lips brushed against hers. All fear receded as if with the tide. She surrendered to his kiss. His fingers stroked her hair. He kissed her deeper as if to explore the depths of the ocean. He wasn't a French horn player for nothing. The fireworks exploding inside her mirrored those bursting over the water at that same moment to the fanfare of the brass band. Balls of fire painted the sky in brilliant shades of silver and gold. When they pulled apart, a sheepish smile graced his features. Ready for your first swim lesson? Now? she gasped. Sure, nothing beats a night swim. All right, she succumbed as he pulled her toward the water. Just don't lose your contacts. Believe me, I'm never going to lose my sight again. He squeezed her tight as they fell together into the waves. The end.